0: Barnes, who once was a student here in this local area and uh, now uh, plays in the NFL uh, for Detroit, uh, was asked, I asked him, along with the other students, what his favorite reading was. And oddly enough, he picked this reading, The Narrow Gate. And it wasn't because uh, the road to from high school to college to the NFL is such a narrow gate. It is. But spiritually, he looked at life that way. Who is this man who didn't make it through the door? The man who didn't make it through that narrow gate? The man that Jesus said, I don't know where you're from. We have to go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, and they sinned, they lost their clothes, they were naked. Everybody is in the image of God, but not everybody is in the image and likeness of God. God created us to be in the image and likeness of God. They lost their clothes, meaning they lost their likeness to God. And this is what I think Derek Barnes was looking at spiritually just wanted to grow to be a, a young man in the image and likeness of God. But how do we do that? During the next three years, we're, we're asked to kind of get back to the sense of worship again. Because we become what we worship. If we worship God, we'll become more like him in our relationships with each other, marriages and families. we worship Christ, we'll become more Christ-like. Science helps to substantiate this. Do you know in neighborhoods where there are churches and there are more churches, even in little neighborhoods and and God-forsaken places in Covington or in New York City, there's less violence. Wherever there are churches that are built, social science has said the rate of violence has gone down. Worship affects society. Worship makes our lives less violent. And same with the Eucharist. Science and faith go hand in hand. Science has also helped to identify Christ's presence in the Eucharist. This morning, uh, Linda Conley will share with us uh, a little Eucharistic miracle, and maybe once a month, we'll share a little Eucharistic miracle to to try to recapture that sense of worship again, that worship that can make us more like, more like Christ, more less violent, a more just and peaceful people. And so science will show even that Eucharist, the Eucharist is really God present, really forming us, and our friendships, and our families in His likeness. And so we'd like you to uh, Welcome Linda, one of our parishioners, who is, uh, has the courage to share with us this morning, so give her a great big hand.
1: Okay, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Catholic faith, yet belief in the real presence of Jesus in that Eucharist is one of the most challenging for many Catholics. In fact, in a 2018 Pew Research Study, it found that only 30% of the Catholics screened believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. If you are someone who struggles with this belief, you're obviously not alone. Seeing the dismal results of this study, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has declared a national Eucharist revival for the next three years. So in the book of John, chapter 6 in particular, Jesus made it quite clear that he would be giving us his flesh and blood as true food and true drink. Hold on a second. Okay. In the presence of the Jewish leaders, his disciples, and his apostles, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which I will give you. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. When the people listening asked him, you know, Lord, give us this bread always, he responded, I am the bread of life. Of course, the Jews murmured and complained about this, but Jesus continued, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give you for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews disputed among themselves, wondering how he could give flesh to eat, his flesh to eat. Jesus replied with the words, truly, truly. Which means I'm serious here guys. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus' disciples also had a hard time believing this, but instead of softening it or changing it, Jesus asked them, do you take offense of this? In chapter 6, verse 66, if you notice the numbers there, verse chapter 6, verse 66, interestingly enough, we read that many of his disciples drew back and no longer followed him because of this teaching. But Jesus did not try to talk them out of going. He just let them leave. In fact, he turned to his own apostles, the 12 inner circle, and asked them if they wanted to leave over this as well. And I imagine in their hearts they were wondering how on earth was Jesus going to be able to make this possible. But they trusted him enough to stay and I can't imagine where the church would be today had they chose to leave that day. So at the Last Supper Jesus showed his apostles just how he wanted to give his church his flesh and blood to eat through the consecration of the Eucharist under the species of bread and wine. Today at every Mass through the words and actions of an ordained priest at the consecration of the bread and wine they still become the body and blood of Jesus. What a gift we've been given in the Catholic Church. Still, many find it difficult to believe that this really happens. God knows our human weaknesses and doubts, and just as Thomas wanted to see the risen Jesus for himself before he would believe, we like to see things for ourselves also. Eucharistic miracles have occurred through the centuries and all around the world. Today, in hopes of helping strengthen our belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, we will be beginning monthly presentations on some of these occurrences that the Church has officially approved as authentic miracles. So the first one today is in Lanciana, Italy, in the year 750 AD, which is this is the earliest recorded Eucharistic miracle. I wonder, there are probably more sooner, but we just don't have any uh, records of them. A Basilian monk who was surrounded by heretics from both within and without the church was really struggling to believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And he prayed continuously that God would help him in his doubt. So one morning as he celebrated mass during the consecration, as he elevated the host, it suddenly changed into flesh and the wine changed into blood. The blood divided into five globlets of varying sizes and shapes. Those at the mass witnessed this and they quickly spread the word of it throughout the village and beyond. In the year 1575, the first scientific studies were done on the transformed bread and wine. An interesting phenomenon was discovered. When the globlets of blood were weighed in any combination, whether they weighed all five of them at the same time, one or two or three of them, they all weighed the same. Again, in 1970, Dr. Linoli did a more intensive study on them. He was a professor of anatomy, pathological histology, chemistry, and clinical microscopy. He was given the opportunity to investigate this, fresh, this flesh and blood. Here's what he discovered. There were no traces whatsoever of preservatives in, in these samples. Now remember this is being studied 1200 years, more, more than 1200 years past this original miracle. So there were no preservatives. He discovered that the flesh is real flesh and the blood is real blood and both of them are human origin. The flesh he said is heart muscle tissue. And he stated that it would take an experienced hand in anatomical dissection to obtain such an expert cut of this heart tissue. He discovered that both the blood and the flesh were both type AB blood, which is a rare blood type and mostly commonly found in the Middle East. The blood contained these minerals, chlorides, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium, sodium to a lesser degree, and calcium in a greater degree. The blood proteins were found to be normally fractioned with the same ratio as normal, fresh blood. Again, this is over 1,200 years old. Although the flesh and blood were conserved in containers that were not completely sealed over the centuries, they were not damaged. So in 1973, the World Health Organization was asked to corroborate Dr. Linolli's findings. They took 15 months and performed 500 studies. And they confirmed every one of his conclusions, but they also added a few of their own. They said that there was no evidence of this being mummified tissue. And they declared them to be living tissues. Because they responded rapidly to all the clinical reactions distinctive of living beings, as if the samples were taken that very day. The flesh is complete heart and it's an in essential structure. It's in a complete heart, that tissue in the um, Eucharist. So today, the body and blood of these miracles can be seen in a beautiful tabernacle in the Church of St. Francis in Lanciano, Italy. This is just one example of Jesus giving us a glimpse of his true presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist in every tabernacle, in every Catholic Church around the globe, and throughout the ages. At St. Patrick's, we are blessed to have Jesus available to us personally, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days, in our beautiful Adoration Chapel. If you struggle with belief in his real presence in the Eucharist, I encourage you to visit him there and ask him to help your unbelief. He may just give you one of your own personal Eucharistic miracles.